0: How are we all doing? Let's, uh, let's do this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Uh, we are in uh, the beginning stages still of a series through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, even though we celebrated 16, or 15 years as a church, uh, let's see, a couple weeks ago, um, my wife and I actually just celebrated 16 years of living here in San Luis on Friday, So it was 16 years ago this Friday that we drove up in a minivan, or some sort of van, I don't even know what it was, to be honest with you, and unloaded our house. We lived on Pismo Street, right downtown Slow, and it was great, and uh, yeah, it's great. So we're happy to be here, we're happy to have our kids raised here, they're locals, that's cool. Uh, So I'm happy to be able to be here this morning with you guys, we'll be able to keep teaching through this, so if you guys have your Bibles open, if you would, Matthew chapter 5, is where we're at, somewhere on the mount. I want to um, say a couple things before I pray. And then what we'll do as soon as I'm done praying, then we'll read the little passage that we're going to be taking a look at. Uh, but what we're going to look at this morning specifically is this larger picture of a retaliation and retribution. And it's an, it's an issue that Jesus himself addresses because he recognizes that it is a part of humanity. It is a part of what it means to be human, what it means to live on this earth. And unless we deal with it properly, really what it is, it's a matter of how we deal with evil, how we deal with wrong, how we deal with things that are sort of injustices to us. Um, The way that we respond to those injustices uh, will either lead us to a path of life or will ultimately be what destroys us. And that's really what Jesus is going to communicate or talk about in terms of this bigger picture and bigger issue of retribution And how we're to actually handle it and deal with it. So, we're going to be taking a look at that specifically this morning on the larger scale. But before we jump in, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to read this little passage that Jesus talks about. And then we'll get to work on this really big topic that Jesus is really concerned about. That we live out, that we understand. Not just so that we can have another morality to sort of apply to our lives. To try to figure things out and to make life even better as Christians. But really so that we would be, like Jesus said, in the context, lights. So that somehow the way that we live would actually be like light shining in darkness. But that also our lives would be like salt. That something about the way that we live would actually have sort of a preserving type of a nature in a world that's full of decay and destruction. So that's the whole context of everything that Jesus is talking about here that's going to be what uh, everything we're going to look at this morning is sort of couched in is Jesus wants us really to reflect something of the character and the nature of God that's very synonymous to light and salt that really has to do with how we deal with evil, injustice, in terms of retribution. All right? Let's pray. Let's do it. Jesus, we admit. confess that so oftentimes we don't deal with evil properly. And God, it's so oftentimes that when we deal with evil, we deal with evil as an evil way. And in an evil way. We just add more evil to evil. And Lord, it's like we just keep adding more fuel to this fire that never goes out. And we don't want to be like that, Lord. We want to be like you. We want Jesus to just reveal to us true light. That we would have wisdom. That we would walk in the way that you desire for us to have. God, that not just simply that we would be individual people that have change and transformation in our lives, but that we as individual people would bring about change and transformation in our families, in our neighborhoods, in San Luis Obispo, in the areas that we come from. God, we want to see change. We know that change can happen because, Jesus, you came to change, to transform the world by the power of the gospel. So we ask for your help, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read this little passage here, beginning at about verse uh, 38, it says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and give him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you, and he takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who begs of you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So again, really what Jesus is trying to do is he's talking about all this is he's trying to establish a standard. And again, it's important for us to always remember that Jesus is really placing all of this in the context that he was talking to these Jewish people. And the bigger picture was that the Jews really were to be the light. They were to be the salt of the earth. That's the reason why Jesus called them. Sometimes people um, have this tendency to look at the Jews and say, well, they were a special people or they were a chosen generation or a chosen, gen-, or, a chosen nation. And oftentimes within Jesus's day, the concept of being a chosen people sort of um, kind of um, spiraled out of control. And it sort of took upon itself this connotation that being chosen people of God meant that everybody else was not. In other words, everybody else was sort of evil. And it kind of became this mentality of us who are God's chosen people and them who are really nothing more than kindling for the fires of hell. And that was kind of the mentality. So it's kind of hard to not have sort of a haughty, prideful, arrogant perspective that has this mentality of us and them we're better, they're bad. Jew, Gentile, human being, dog, right? Uh, righteous, sinful. And that's kind of how the mentality became. And they lost sight of the fact that the reason why they were chosen people was not so much so that there would be this huge gap between uh, the Jews and Gentiles, but so that the Jews, as God's chosen people, would live as lights. To reflect something of the good character and nature of God to all the world. So that the world would see how good God is. So the world would be brought into relationship with God. That was God's ultimate perspective and purpose for the Jewish people from the beginning. But just like churches that become arrogant, boastful, and prideful. And sort of uh, uh, egocentric. Meaning that we have the right way. We do things the correct way. Or we're better than them. We, we, what happens is we find ourselves walking on a path that's very similar to that, that which the Jews had experienced in Jesus' day. But the whole point that Jesus was trying to say is that you don't, you don't get it, you don't understand it. The whole point of God calling you would be so that you would shine forth brightly as lights to the world of a great God. And so what he's going to do now is going to begin to sort of break down... Uh, Different aspects that we go through in life and how the gospel can affect that, how the life of God can change that. So you've, over the past few weeks, uh, you've looked at how the gospel affects marriage. How the gospel affects the way that we uh, deal with our word. In other words, if we're always going around having to say, I swear to you I'm telling the truth. The reason why we're always having to go around, I swear to you I'm telling the truth, is because there's something not really truthful about it. Jesus says, look, it's better than, to go, better than going around and telling everybody, like you swear to them you're telling the truth. Jesus says, just tell the truth. Just be honest. Just, just live a different way. And that's what the message really of the Sermon of the Mount is. Living a different way according to the power of God. And ultimately then, Jesus is going to point to himself and say, I am the light of the world. I am the one that is walking in light and leading those out of darkness. Follow me. So here's what he's going to do now. He's going to address this ancient notion that comes from the Old Testament. uh, Out of Exodus, Leviticus, it's in Deuteronomy. This idea that originates from the law. And it was called, uh, it, it went something like this, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And what we're going to look at here in just a moment is really Jesus is going to address head on this notion of the law and how it sort of works. Because what had happened in Jesus' day, too, as it happens in ours, God's word, which was meant to be good, ends up getting handled by too many guys, too many people, that fondle it and mess it up and degrade it and destroy it. It ends up coming out the other side looking nothing like what it should have looked like from the beginning. Does so this make sense? I'll give you an example of this. What Jesus is going to say, uh, in, ter- in terms of the text, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, and then he's going to give them sort of his description as to a better way to live. Now, the reason why Jesus is addressing this, some scholars actually believe what Jesus is doing is contradicting the Bible. He's not contradicting the Bible. Jesus wrote the Bible, all right? So Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's not saying that what Moses wrote was bad. In fact, quite to the contrary. He's basically admitting that what Moses wrote was really good, but the way that you've come to understand it is really bad. In other words, they were looking at this concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as sort of a means of this is what they deserve. They deserve to live like this, to deserve to live according to this. They began to look at it as prescriptive and not just so much restrictive. In other words, you knock my eye out, I get to knock your eye out. You punch my tooth out so I look like a hillbilly. I get to punch your tooth out so you too get to look like a hillbilly, right? It's like this is the prescription, right? You break my arm, I break your arm. It's just, it's just the way that it works. But what Jesus is saying, you guys, have missed it. It's not the way that it's supposed to work. It's, it's, not, it's not to be this prescription, but it's descriptive. In other words, if this happens... This is the limit to where you should go. Don't take it beyond that. So here's what I want to do. The first thing that I want to basically address is, in the next slide you'll see, it. I'll just kind of call it uh, this proportional retribution or proportional justice. That's what this whole concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was meant to sort of imply. Okay, you've got to think about it this way. Go back 4,000 years ago, if you can. Go back 4,000 years ago, in the wilderness. The Jews are living back there. There's sort of this group of people, maybe a million, maybe upwards of three million strong. Here they are living out in the wilderness, but they're living in the wilderness and just down the river to the left around some sort of like little, you know, cavern uh, where there's a bunch of caves. There's another tribe. And just down up the stream to the furthest parts of the desert, there's another tribe. And then there's another tribe. They live up in the highlands and, you know, they, they, they live up and they've, they've use fire, and they shoot bows and arrows. That's another tribe. And what you have a long time ago is you have sort of this tribal mentality. And each tribe looks out for themselves. So what takes place is that if the other tribe down the river steals one of your goats, it's not enough for you to just, you know, go back and steal one of their goats. You want to actually go and kill his entire flock of goats, right? So if you kill his entire flock of goats, they come back, and they, you know, shoot up with bows and arrows, family. Now you're mad, and now you go back and you destroy their entire town. And what happens is you get sort of this escalating violence that never stops. There's no boundaries. There's no limits to it. So Moses comes on the scene and he says, listen, to be able to curb that insatiable appetite for constantly wanting to just destroy people, he says, here's what we're going to do. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Don't go beyond that. That's the boundary. If you go beyond that, you're violating it. You're going to destroy each other. If you go beyond that, you will bring your tribe and every other tribe to destruction. Why is it something God is concerned about? Believe it or not, God loves people. And that's why. It really boils down to God has love for human life. God has value for human life. All human life. Not just Jews, but for every. What God's trying to do is he's basically setting up barriers. He's trying to basically establish sort of a proportional retribution. In other words, if somebody does something to you, then you have sort of the description of how far you can go and no further. Does that make sense? Y'all say page so far. Y'all, y'all, okay. Next thing I want you to take a look at is where, actually, before we do this, here's a couple of verses I want, to, I want to show to you. In the book of Exodus, the way that this sort of begins, because um, Jesus is probably addressing this. So he says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24 to 25, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, um, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is again picked up in the book of Leviticus if anyone injures his neighbors. As he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given to a person shall be given to him. Okay, take a look at the next passage. This is uh, taken out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy comes up. And uh, the name Deuteronomy literally means second law or the second giving of the law. So I envision what's happened is that a few years have transpired. Uh, The nation of Israel has kind of grown. Uh, They've uh, realized that the law uh, is broadening in terms of its, uh, its, its stretch, and its uh, being able to address broader issues, and it's kind of leading now into sort of a civil life, or the civil life, the way that they operate as a tribe of people, in terms of a uh, civil nature. So here, uh, Moses gives this example in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 16, he says this, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties... To the dispute shall appear before the Lord. And I notice he's going to basically say three uh, different groups of people that this guy is going around. He was like, you know, writing on his MySpace page and his Flickr page and his, you know, uh, profile page and Facebook. And he's blogging about people. Creating rumors. Starting bad things about people. He's spreading gossip. And so Moses is basically saying, that guy is going around spreading rumors. He needs to be brought before the Lord, before the priests, before the judges. And he's brought before these particular people. He's going to be inquired. So verse 18, it says this, the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness um, and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he has meant to do to his brother. So here's the deal. The way this sort of had come to apply in a broader sense is you got a guy who's going around gossiping. And it's affecting your livelihood. So these rumors are obviously impacting you, all right? And so you own a business you own goat milk. And someone goes around saying, he's selling goat milk. That tastes horrible, all right? He's telling everybody, calling everybody on his cell phone out there in the ancient wilderness 5,000 years ago. Nobody wants to buy your goat milk anymore. It's really bad. Your business is suffering. Well, you go before the judges. You go before the priests. And you go before God. And you're going to be on the trial, uh, or the, you're going to be on the witness stand, Someone's going to quiz you or they're going to quiz the person that has been causing these rumors and ask them, did you really say this? Why did you say this? What was your purpose for saying this? And there's going to be a lot of research done to try to figure out, was this true? So here's the deal. If at the end of all of this inquiry, they come to find out that it was true, this guy was spreading rumors, here's what Moses says. Then whatever this guy was wanting to bring about in terms of a lawsuit against the other person, everything that this guy has wanted to bring upon this other guy's head is going to come upon his head. And that's where Moses finishes in verse 21. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, read, and nothing beyond. That's the point. Don't go beyond that. In other words, if if this is the boundary, it's finished. If he did an injury to you and it affected your hand, then the extent of it is his hand. Don't go beyond that. Don't kill his family. Don't salt his crops. Don't destroy his livelihood. Retribution has been done proportionally. Okay, the next thing I want us to take a look at is Jesus is going to basically begin to sort of outline for us a better way to think about matters of justice and matters of retribution. I'm going to call this creative retribution or creative justice. The reason why I say that is because Jesus is going to get extremely creative about the way in which he wants for us to begin to rethink the way that we consider a matters of retribution. Okay, let me ask you. How do we, as natural people, as human beings, how do we typically go about ways of retribution? Examples. How? Someone gossips about you. What do you do? All right, tell me what you wrote on your blog this past week. All right, I'm just kidding. Yeah, how do we typically do that? All right, if nobody wants to answer, that's cool. You leave me hanging, that's fine. I'll just give an answer myself. That was a joke. My point is this, is that what happens is we are not content to just do eye for eye, tooth for tooth, are we? We always go beyond that. We, we always, in fact, at the end of the day, we actually feel justified in doing that, Right? We can go beyond. We can hurt people. We can say things to people. We can, you know, if, if you're in a relationship, uh, this happens in marriages. Give me an example. Maybe a husband and a wife. Wife gets her feelings hurt. Husband, you know, is being a typical husband, kind of bonehead sometimes. And what happens is the wife has her feelings hurt. So here's what she does: silent treatment. She's, she won't be intimate with them. That's her way of retribution. You hurt my feelings. I'm going to get back at you. No sex. Well, the husband is oblivious because most guys typically are. He has no idea why. So in his mind, he's like, I'm going on a six-week fishing trip. I'm out of here. He's gone. It's a way of getting back at her. Now, when she gets, and he gets back and she does something else even further, you see what I'm saying? It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But both parties actually feel justified, both of them. The point that I'm trying to make is that there has to be a better way to deal with matters Of justice and retribution. Okay? Because we're all affected by sin. We are all affected by matters of injustice. All of us have been taken advantage of. All of us have had our feelings hurt. Either by people that willfully want to hurt us. Or by people that just, you know, ignorantly step on our toes and hurt us. So the real issue is how do we handle these things? How do we respond? How do we deal with them? Typically... We either handled them by measuring out, if we were given evil, we measure out an equal if not extra portion of evil to that person who hurt us. Isn't that right? Now, that how we work? Does that solve the problem? Does it make you feel better? Maybe for a little bit. But when that other person got upset, now they're going to come back to you and just do something worse. Now you feel like you had more injustice done against you. And it just keeps going and going and going. I've been, I had an extra neighbor years ago when we first moved in. And uh, we used to play these pranks on each other. And when we lived next to each other. We would we would just do stupid things to each other. Like, you know, I'd put something on the front doorstep. You know, I don't know, bag of something. I, you know, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And yeah, let your mind go where it was probably that. And And then he would do something back to me, and then I would do something worse to him. And then one day, one day, he got back at us, and and my wife was actually, he thought it was going to be affecting me, but my wife went into the cupboard to get out, I don't know, kicks or something like that, to eat cereal. She's a real massive uh, cereal fanatic, and she was eating the cereal, and then she was dumping the cereal into her bowl, this, this hair pick, this nasty, disgusting, oily greasy hair pick falls out into her bowl and she's like that's that's a weird like prize (laughs) and so she took it out and she's eating the cereal she's like she's like brian that's weird that there's a hair pick in there i'm like did you eat the cereal she's like yeah like no the next door neighbor put that in there as a joke and you ate the kicks she's like yeah like that's disgusting throw up gag yourself do something you don't know what's in there. And and at that point, I just realized listen, I gotta stop this because this guy does not know when to draw the line. Like he'll burn my house down and think it's funny. I'm like, I just gotta stop this. I gotta bow out of this whole thing. But that's the way that we are. We act like this, and we just think we're always justified because we feel like injustice was done to us. So Jesus basically says as a solution, you gotta deal with. Retribution in a creative way. What I want you to see here is he's not going to say, ignore evil. He's not going to say, turn your back on evil. He's not going to say, act as if it doesn't exist. But he is going to say, deal with it in a way that's creative. So here's what he's going to point out. Verse 39, she says, but I say to you, do not resist the evil one. The word that he uses there for resist is actually the Greek word antihistamai. Sound familiar? So I'll say antihistamai. That was horrible. Try that again. Antihistamine. A little better. If, okay, we, we actually use that word in our, in our English, right? Antihistamine. It's the idea of like resisting something. Here's what Jesus says. Don't resist the evil. I like the way one uh, commentator words it. He says this, uh, the way he puts it. Uh, he says, do not resist violence with more evil. Do not resist evil ...with more evil. I think that gets to the heart of it. I don't think Jesus is just saying... ...turn your back on evil. Ignore it. Act like it doesn't exist. It's not what he's saying. But what he is trying to teach... ...what he is trying to communicate... ...that evil has to be dealt with. Evil has to be addressed. But it has to be addressed in a different way... ...than what we're prone to addressing it, Which just leads to more feuds. Leads to higher escalation of violence... It has to be addressed in a different way. And that's where he's basically trying to get at. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to jump into looking at how does Jesus, Jesus really address these things. Because the next thing that he's basically going to begin to do is he's essentially going to begin to talk about three different types of uh, uh, statements or little cameos or little situations that are going to arise. ways in which you can deal with this. So what he's going to do is he's going to give us three examples. One pertaining a slap on the cheek. Most of us have probably heard of these. One has to do with being sued. One has to do with going the extra mile. So let's take a look at each one of these. And again, I want you to think about it. Each one of these is a different way of addressing evil so that we don't find ourselves being guilty of really creating more evil, okay? So here's what he's going to say, the first of which is a slap on the cheek. Matthew five thirty nine says this, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him, the other, also. Now what I think Jesus is trying to communicate here is this concept of a slap on the cheek is not so much intended to actually hurt somebody or to actually bring pain upon somebody. It's more of an insult. In fact, most scholars agree that this idea of slapping somebody on the cheek, on the right cheek, because Jesus is specific, right? He's just not like somebody slaps you on the cheek. You know, it's not like a girl fight. It's like somebody actually whacks you on the right cheek. So if you think about it, on the right cheek, The way that this would have been understood in that particular day, it would have been probably a master or a superior or a leader or maybe a soldier actually backhanding backhanding somebody on their right cheek. This could have been a slave. This could be a child. This could have been a woman. And the whole idea behind the slap on the cheek was meant to create an insult. It was meant to basically uh, communicate a very loud, clear poignant message that you are an inferior. You're an inferior. You're worthless. You deserve to be insulted because you're somebody lesser than the person who's slapping you. So here's what Jesus is saying. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek and insults you, turn and give them the other cheek also. So here's what I think he's trying to communicate. For somebody to be slapped on the right cheek as a means of an insult... To actually give that person who just slapped you the other cheek is actually basically a very clear message of addressing the evil. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to address the evil, don't address it by, you know, dodging it and punching him. Or or kicking him. Or doing something back violently. Because you're just going to incur more violence. But address the evil, but address it in a way that's creative. Give him your other cheek. As a human being who has rights, offer to him your cheek. And in doing so, you're making a very loud and clear statement that you are a human being and you are offering your other cheek to be slapped. It's a pretty profound statement saying, You don't have the right to treat me with insult, you don't have the right to treat me with less dignity. I'm made in the image of God just like you're made in the image of God. For you to insult me and demean me is not the appropriate way to treat anybody. So, as a human being, here's my other cheek. Slap me. At least that would cause somebody to stand back and be shocked, be in amazement of that. I also kind of think that when Jesus is communicating these things, I think some of these things are meant to be sort of funny. I mean to be honest with you, I think we read passages that Jesus says a lot of times because we don't read like little, you know, statements in between the line that says applause, you know, or smiles or laughter. We we lose sight of the fact that I think a lot of times the things that Jesus says are actually in, are pretty funny. I think in an audience that's listening to this, I mean, this is an audience of people that is very familiar with sort of being viewed as low They're viewed as culture living in a society that had a massive hierarchy of uh, or division between the higher-ups and the really low-downs. They were familiar with insult. So when Jesus says, listen, give him your other cheek, I can imagine some of the people being like, you're kidding, that's genius. Give him your other cheek? I've never even thought about that before. That's phenomenal. I think that's what's happening here. All right, take a look at the next one. Jesus says also in verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him also take your cloak as well. I think it's important to note that in first century, the way that they typically wore their garments or the clothing that they wore was basically broken down into two layers of clothing. They would have uh, sort of an undergarment. This was called a ketone, ketone. It was an undergarment, kind of like underwear, But it was sort of like a garment, like a long... I mean, bottom line, guys, first century, they all wore dresses, all right? Chicks, dudes, they all wore dresses, all right? I know it's weird, but that's the way it worked. So they would have this ketone, this undergarment that would be underneath, that would be actual garment that is obviously closest to your skin or on your skin. And then they would have the outer cloak or the outer garment, which is called the himetion. And this outer garment would basically, you know, could be different colors. This would be sort of, you know, where they would, you know, express themselves and, you know, get all cool looking and stuff. But here's what Jesus is saying. Um, He says, if you go to court, and let's say you're being sued unjustly, and again, someone asked me after first service, you know, is this the way it always works all the time in every court? I think, again, in the context, Jesus is talking about when this type of evil is done to you. So I think in the context, Jesus is probably talking about some dude, Is being taken to court uh, unjustly, all right, unjustly. You're being sued. You know you didn't do anything wrong. You know you're kind of in a situation where, you know, if you just had the opportunity to express your story, you probably would be found innocent, but that's not the deal that's going down. The story that's happening in your life is big, oppressive, you know, multi-million dollar, massive oppressive tyrant, despot, loser, you know, type guy is taking you to the courts, and there you are, You're outgunned, outnumbered. What are you going to do? He sues you and he takes your undergarment. We have concepts like in our culture today where we say, I'm getting taken to the cleaners. All right? He's suing me for the shirt on my back. Right? It's basically saying he's taken me for everything I got. It's a metaphor. Jesus is saying, You're being sued. And he takes your undergarments. So Jesus says, I got an idea for you. How about when you're in court and he sues you, takes your undergarments, he's basically humiliating you in front of all these people. It's unjust. He's evil. He's oppressive. He's taking advantage of you. How about you do this? Take off your outer garment, give that to him. Okay, you've got to be creative here. What happens? If you have your undergarment taken, and all you have left is your outer garment, and you take off your outer garment, fold it up nicely, and give it to the person in court. What are you now? You're naked. I I think this is funny. Honestly, I think Jesus is just like, got the people laughing. They're like, this is crazy. We've never thought about this before. I think it's Jesus' creative way of saying... You want to shame the guy who really, truly is shameful? How about you take off your outer garment and give that to him? You'll be naked and you will actually be very clearly, poignantly demonstrating what he actually is doing to you. He's taking you for everything. He's shaming you. Now, someone asked me, does this mean literally when you go to court, take off your clothes in Jesus' name? Probably not. Uh, I don't think so. Um, It's the same way in which Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Jesus speaks in hyperbole. He speaks in statements that are meant to elicit radical response where you're like, you're kidding. Cut off your hand? You're kidding. Stand naked in court? Yeah, it sends a message. Very profound and creative message by addressing the evil in a very profound and creative way by saying, you shamed me. You shamed me by suing me, and I'm going to show you how you shamed me. I'm going to stand here naked. All right. That's what I think is happening. Next one is this. He says, go the extra mile. And if anyone forces you to go an extra mile or to go a mile, go with them two miles. Now, it's important to note, first century, the way the Roman system was set up is they had these massive roads that connected city to city. Okay? Um, Massive roads. That was one of the biggest things that Rome was known for is they went in. To ancient civilizations and they made these phenomenal roads in fact a lot of these roads are still there today in fact one of the most popular ones is called the via it's called the way of the sea via and it's still there there's still parts of it where you can actually see them. I a 2,000 year old road I mean for goodness sakes the road getting on the freeway from Losos Valley Road and in, 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 right there Losos Valley Road is horrible I mean I don't know how many times they fixed it but there's this massive pothole in it it's horrible Who's fixing these things? Where's our money going? Anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is they had these massive roads that were there forever. And when you would walk along these roads, they would have these sort of outposts every mile. Every mile. Every Roman mile, they'd have these outposts. And at the outpost, you'd have sort of like a little group of uh, Roman soldiers. These Roman soldiers would hang out. They'd play games. They'd talk. And they were kind of meant to be there to kind of provide protection so if you are a traveler traveling from one city to the next, let's say from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, you would have basically every mile along sort of a guarantee that there was a way marker for you to stop, an outpost for you to kick back, get a cup of water, drink something, hang out. If somebody's bothering you or creeping you out, you can talk to a Roman guard and they'll take care of it. However, when you stop at one of those way stations or as you're walking by, there was always sort of this hesitancy because you also knew that these Roman guards would say if they also were traveling the road, Um, You know, they work hard, right? They work a really fair wage. They don't want to carry their armor from one post to the next. So what they would oftentimes do is they would beg you or they would command you. It was called commandeering you. So if you were walking from one city to the next, a Roman guard can stop you and say, you, now you carry my goods. You're like, me? Like, yeah, you carry my goods. And you couldn't fight it. Like you hated it. Nobody liked doing this. Because Roman guards were not always the nicest of people. They took advantage of the Jews. They actually hated the Jews. I mean, a lot of them, they just did not have any good relationship. So you got to imagine, here's Jesus talking to him. He says, listen, if you guys are walking down the road, and a Roman guard asks you go a mile, immediately that would create intense emotion in people. Like, oh, Jesus, you had to remind us about the hideousness of Roman law that causes us to have to commandeer. We hate this. Jesus says, in essence, rather than join a resistance movement, rather than plot an attempt to get back at them, rather than resist, rather than fight, rather than scowl, rather than give them stink eye, rather than, you know, email your friends and tell them how they should avoid this path because this guy's a jerk you don't ever want to see him again. Rather than address evil like that, go an extra mile. One other thing to note, the Romans, even though they had this uh, law of commandeering, um, they were also very specific that you could only go one mile. You know, they they, they tried to protect the civilians. So if a civilian was uh, begged to go one mile, they can just go one mile, and that was it. They'd have to stop, and then basically they'd have to find somebody else. And that was it. So can you imagine Jesus telling the story? If you are commandeered to go one mile, rather than resist that evil... I know you hate it, kind of what he's saying. I know it's a necessary evil, you don't like doing it. But rather than fight it, go an extra mile. Offer to go an extra mile. And by doing this, not only will you shock the guy, but you will also probably radically surprise him and probably even scare him to some degree in amazement because what if his commanding officers watching you go the second mile? He's going to get in trouble for it. Jesus is saying, here's a creative way to address evil. You don't got to fight. You don't got to resist it. Go the second mile. Go the extra level. Now, I want to address one thing real fast before I finish up here. A lot of times people have taken this passage and used it as a form of passivism. In other words, what Jesus taught here was just complete passivism That we are never to resist evil. And again, I don't think it's a matter of just lay down and let people take advantage of you. I don't think that's the the point at all. I I don't think that addresses the heart to what Jesus is trying to address. I think what Jesus is really trying to say is that evil needs to be addressed. Evil shouldn't be shunned. Evil shouldn't be forgotten. Evil should not be just sort of uh, belittled. It shouldn't be sort of swept to the side or swept under the rug. It should be addressed. But it ought not to be addressed in the way that we typically address it. Or, as the way he would say in other times, the Gentiles address evil. Why? Because Jesus says you're different. You do address it in a way that reflects the loving, kind, giving, generous, going the extra mile nature of your Father in Heaven who is always going the extra mile. Who is always giving graciously to those that really deserve it least. Jesus is calling upon his people to live according to a different way. To act in a different light. Let me try to put this into words the way the New Testament writer, Paul the Apostle, put it. All right? So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you turn real quick to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'm almost done here. Romans, chapter 12. I think Paul, as he's writing this, what he's trying to do, he's trying to come up with an idea as to how to address this, how to deal with this on a personal level. Now, I think it's important to note that Paul is basically going to be talking about addressing evil in sort of a personal type of a, individualistic type of a way, but then also on sort of a civil type of way. Paul is going to address how we're to deal with evil in Romans chapter 12, but then Paul's then going to address how we deal with evil on a civil level in Romans chapter 13. All right, And so what he's going to talk about is that evil needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed in particular ways. Because if we as individuals address evil with the same evil that has been given to us, are we any different? Have we acted any different? Have we done anything to push back the darkness? Have we done anything to show forth light? Have we done anything to bring about preserving grace that can change culture? No. We've just joined the fires of Gehenna. So we've done. We've just stoked them. We've just brought more decay into the scenario, and we've just made life in matters worse in an overall sense. Okay? So here's what he's going to say. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's like Paul saying, you know, I think Paul is definitely writing with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on mind. He's writing to a group of people that live in Rome. These are people that are familiar with, you know, Roman law. These are people that are familiar with soldiers shredding their power and their strength and their might throughout, you know, Roman, city, Roman cities. These are people that are familiar with, um, really, the evil of an emperor. They're familiar with this. And here's Paul. is writing to this group of believers that live in Rome, and he says, listen, for you guys, live a different way. How about you live in a way that outdoes one another by being loving, rather than outdoing each other by violence and hatred and spite and getting back at each other and the silent treatment and you know the nonverbal abuse and sort of the uh, you know the the uh, passive-aggressive approach that oftentimes people take, or even sometimes the assaults that we give with our with our mouth and the uh, the horrible things that we say to people. How about you live in a way? that actually outdoes one another by loving one another. Can you imagine a world that's like that? That's what Paul's saying. Verse 14, he says, Bless those that persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Haughty just means um, prideful and arrogant. Um, And he he says, Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you to live peaceably with all. So Paul's charge, as much as it li- is possible within you, live peaceably with as-, as many people as you can. Now, I think he recognizes that not everybody is able to live peaceably with everybody. But as much as lies within you, live peaceably. Take a look at the very next one we finish up here. He says this, next slide. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. He says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So by doing, you will be heaping coals of, or you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I think what Paul is doing is he's basically cashing in on the whole essence of what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, how else can you basically describe what Paul is trying to communicate? If you're enemy, think about it. If you're enemy, the guy that you cannot stand, the person that has gossiped about you, the person that has written horrible things about you, the person that has crashed prayer meetings and at the name of like prayer requests has passed gossip about and toxin and venom about you, he's saying, listen, that guy, that guy, Make some cookies for him. Go buy him a pie. Bake a meal. Bring him a snack lunch. Go buy him Firestone. Bless him. Figure out some way to confront the evil. Don't back away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't act as if it doesn't exist. But confront it. But don't confront it with more evil. Otherwise, We will be just as bad as they are. Jesus says that doesn't reflect my father who's in heaven. My father's a giver. My father blesses. He blesses people that are bad. Next one. (laughs) Number 309. Look at that. All right. Last one is this. What I want to finish up with uh, is this whole subject. Is because what Jesus really is driving home. Is that evil needs to be addressed. But it needs to be addressed in a way that will deal with it properly, otherwise, we end up becoming part of the very system of evil we're trying to destroy. So that all making sense? That would have been like a perfect spot for like a "Amen," Or like, "Hallelujah." All right? That's um, so cool. Uh, let me finish with this. All right? It's hot. It's late. You're hungry. I mentioned firestone. Everybody checked out. Here's what I want to finish up with. It, why ought we not to take matters into our own hands? All right? Why does Paul say, don't take vengeance? Don't avenge yourselves. He says, God's, God will avenge you. Why? At least three reasons. One, because for a simple reason, we don't always have all the facts. Notice that? Now I, I, want, I want to draw a distinction for you. Chapter 12 of Romans talks about individual. In other words, if you have been wronged by somebody, how should you deal with this? How should you deal with this? I'm talking individual. Someone says something to you. Someone offends you. Someone looks at you bad. Someone mistreats you. Someone does something just wrong that is offensive to you. How do you deal with that? Well, oftentimes, we're ready to just fire back. But in a civil sense here's the way it works if somebody does something wrong to you breaks into your house steals something of yours you're offended what's the protocol what's the system the system is you get a lawyer you go to court you stand before a judge and you go through you know infinite hours and hours of litigation trying to get to the bottom of what was really said why Because the court system is meant to protect against evil. Do you understand that? In fact, Romans chapter 13 says the law is actually God's deacon. It's God's servant. To make sure that justice is done correctly. Therefore, I think Paul would say elsewhere, pray for them. Pray for your leaders. But on an individual basis, how often do we ever, if ever, when offended, call that person up and be like, hey, listen. Uh, there's these rumors that are going around. And it sounds like people are telling me that you said something about me that it sounds offensive. And before I jump to conclusions that I probably shouldn't be, I just want to ask you, is this true? Is this true? Is this really what you said? I'm just calling because I love you, because we are Christians, because we live a different way, because we act differently. I'm just curious, is this true? No, I didn't say that at all. Oh, well, I'm really sorry. Hang up the phone and you go back. It's done. How often do we actually do that? Hardly ever. You see, the reality is, is we always lack information. And this is why we are not qualified to take vengeance. We don't have all the facts. We think we do, but we don't have all the facts. The second thing is this. We're prone to overpunish people, Right? You notice that? All right. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm a dad. I got two girls, uh, 10, and my oldest is going to be 13 in less than a week. All right? Uh, They're great kids. I love my daughters, Brianna and Brooke. All right? love them. But at the same time, they're human beings, and they exhibit the same characteristics that we all exhibit, which, you know, we like to get back at each other. So here's the way justice works in my house. All right? That's the way it works. Uh, Brianna? is maybe offended by something, Brooke does, Brooke hits her, and then Brianna wants to hit her back, and uh, and then Brooke gets mad, and so Brooke goes up and, like, twists Brianna's arm, and Brianna's really mad, and so she, like, scratched Brooke, and it just keeps escalating until somebody ends up hurt, and they're crying, and they both end up coming to me, and they're like, Daddy, she hit me, all right, and I'm like, well, did you hit her back? Well, yeah, Well, why did you hit her back? Well, because she pinched me. Well, why did she pinch you? Well, because she kicked me in the shin. Well, why did she kick you in the shin? Because she pulled my hair. Why did she pull you in the hair? Because she entered into my room, and I didn't let her. You see what I'm saying? So this thing, I traced it all the way back down to this, like, very small thing that escalated. So justice the way it works in my house is I say this. Listen, next time this happens, you come to me. Justice is mine. Vengeance is mine. Says your dad. And I'll repay. I know how to get to the facts. I know how to get there. You don't. You only know how to react. And you react unjustly. And by reacting unjustly, you end up hurting your sister, who ends up hurting you back. And you keep adding, escalating, keep going to the place where both of you are unjust. Both of you are in trouble. It's that simple. I love you. But both of you are in trouble. Because you're both unjust, both guilty. So, God is basically saying we're just unqualified because we always overpunish people, don't we? And we always feel just about it, justified. The last thing is this we ought not to take matters of retribution in our own hands because of this. Really, we're called to live by faith, we're called to live trusting God. And if God says, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And in the meantime, While I got your back, God says, you bless your enemy. While in the meantime, I'll repay you walk an extra mile. While in the meantime, I'll repay you take off your shirt and court and stand naked in front of everybody, show that you've been abused and shamed. But no, I got your back. I'm protecting you, I'll take care of you. Um, If somebody slaps you in the cheek, you can willingly give him your other cheek because you know that I know the motives and the intents and the reasons of everybody's heart. I will get to the bottom of it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay evil. I will repay it. And God wants us to live this out by faith. And do you know that when we don't live that out, when we take matters of retribution in our own hands and we live vindictively, here's what ends up happening. We're really not living by faith, trusting in God. We're actually living in disbelief. Really, it boils down to this. We don't believe that God really has my back. We don't really believe, or if that God does have my back. But the way that God is going to take care of it is not sufficient. So therefore, i got to add a little bit here. Is this making sense to anybody of us here? Is this applicable to anybody I mean, this is the world we live in, right? So here's the deal. How does this apply in our life? Let me try to put it this way in summary. God says vengeance belongs to him. Vengeance belongs to him. Jesus wants us to live like lights. He wants us to live in a way that points people back to God. And the way that we do that is we live in a very firm trust and belief that God will do what God says he will do. He will avenge us. But in the meantime, until that day, or whenever that day happens, we can live giving forth creative justice, creative retribution, thinking of ways to bless, thinking of ways to deal with the evil, not with evil. Thinking of ways to deal with sin, not sinfully. So that in the end, we would actually give testimony and bear witness to our good God who's in heaven. Who's a just God. Who's a giving God. And ultimately in the end, this is exactly what Jesus does. He comes into this world. and He's abused. There's a moment in the garden where Peter whips out his sword. He says, do you want me to kill everybody? He's about ready to whack everybody's head off. Right? He's angry. He's about ready to give a little bit of like Peter justice. All right? I mean, like street justice, Right, ear for ear, head for head. I will kill everybody for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, put away your sword, Peter. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Don't you know, right now, if I wanted to, I can call legions of angels to come down and protect me. But the way that I will address this evil is not the way that you have addressed this evil. The way that I will address this evil is I will go and I will stand before Pilate. And I will speak a few words to him and I will ultimately surrender to the evil and I will let evil do its worst to me and I will conquer it. I will conquer it. That, my friends, is a life to which Jesus calls us to live. Not ignoring evil, but addressing it in a very creative way that comes out giving glory to God, that comes out finding life. Last thing I want to say is this. God knows very well That if we live in such a mentality in which we try ourselves to live out vindication, to take retribution ourselves, you know what happens? We end up becoming very angry people. I don't, I mean, I've seen trillions of like karate movies, all right? Every Steven Seagal movie is the exact same. It's all about the dude killed my brother, I got to kill his whole clan of people. All right, And at the end of the movie, Steven Seagal does some sort of like roundhouse flying back kick, and the movie's over. All right, uh, That's just the way it works. Because it's all about retribution. But nobody can live out retribution with a loving, peaceful heart. There's something about people who are retributive they tend to become very angry and callous and full of hate. It's the way it is. Only God can carry out retribution and still always be loving. And he calls us to reflect something of his character and his nature in the way that we live this out. I'm going to finish. I'm going to pray. We're going to respond by giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. If you're one of our guests, please don't feel any obligation to give. If you want to give, give joyfully to Jesus because we love him. Eli is going to come up and lead us in some uh, songs of worship as we respond to God but I really want to encourage you guys to think about what we're doing here today, the reason why we worship, the reason why we love God, the reason why we're even here right now is not to just stuff our minds with information, but that the Word of God would really provide sort of a catalyst of worship for our hearts. It creates an essence of who God is in our lives. It reveals to us God, and we worship God based upon the revelation of His Word. So we're going to worship right now. We're going to sing to Him. We're going to give to Him you're here and you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life if you look at yourself at the end of the day and you realize i am that vindictive, angry person do you know that jesus came to set you free from that he came to set you free from that so that you would have life so that he would carry that for you so that you can have freedom and life that he gives you if you're here and you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life Why don't you go over here off to the side. We'll have some people over there to pray for you. I'm going to pray right now. We're going to worship and we'll wrap it up. Jesus, thank you for your great love. In which you exhibited on the cross. In which you have demonstrated how great you are. And how you are able to conquer and destroy and confront evil. Not with evil, but with good. That's exactly how we want to live. That's exactly how we want our lives to reflect something of who you are. We ask these things, God, to be brought about in our hearts we worship you now and we give you our tithes our offerings our worship our love and anything that we just need to bring before you lord lay it at your feet our lives
1: be the place we fix our eyes be the center of our lives we lift our eyes we lift our eyes to heaven we wrap our lives around your life we lift our eyes to heaven to you thank you Jesus We lift our eyes to heaven We wrap our lives around your life We lift our eyes to heaven To you Oh Christ Be the center of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives Love you Jesus be the place we fix our eyes be the center of our lives we lift our eyes to heaven we wrap our lives around your life we lift our eyes to heaven The jumps over sadness Jesus, Jesus. and I have found Sadness, Jesus. Jesus And I have found a Love you, Jesus And I have found a trust That teaches how to rest Found you stand up and see that again. I have found a... love, Jesus, and I have found a trust that teaches how to rest, that teaches how to rest, and I have. more, Jesus. Oh, we know there's so much more. Oh, we know we know there's so much more. May your mercy change this nation. May your gospel be proclaimed. Spread the borders of your kingdom. Jesus. Raise the people who Sing me your mercy. May your mercy change this nation. May your gospel be proclaimed. Spread the borders of your kingdom. Raise the people who proclaim. Fill this place, Lord Jesus. And let your kingdom your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, oh, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, let your kingdom come and let your will Chosen to forgive us, chose to purchase us from sin. Though the Holy King, eternal, a crown of thorns adorned your head, a crown of thorns adorned your head, a crown of thorns adorned. Let your kingdom come, Jesus, and let your kingdom come, and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And let your kingdom come, oh, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And let your kingdom come, and let your will be done in my heart. In my heart, like it is in heaven. And let your kingdom come. Oh, let your will be. Savior of the world Jesus I come and bow down to worship To clothe you in worth I come to offer my life again As my act of sacrifice And I don't come based on anything That I've done Thank you, Lord But only through your finished work On the cross I come and bow down I come and bow down To worship To clothe you in worth I come to offer my life again As my act of sacrifice And I don't come based on anything That I've done No, I don't come based on anything That I've done We don't come We don't come based on anything that we've done, but only through your finished work on the cross. We love you, Jesus. You're our God. My God, my Savior, Lord Jesus, I love you forever, because you are the Lamb that has been slain. around your throne, my God, my God, my Savior, Lord Jesus, we we'll love you forever, because you are the lamb that has been slain, one day, we'll praise you in glory, with all of the angels, joining your saints around your throne, we sing our praise, our glory, Savior, Lord Jesus, I love you forever, because you are the lamb that has been slain. One day, I'll praise you in glory with all of the angels, joining your saints around your throne. I decided to follow And I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back, no turning back. But none go with me, still I will follow. cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. And turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of this earth Will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Turn your eyes Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful Face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I exalt thee. Lord, we want you.
0: Thank you so much for this morning What a wonderful morning to worship you God What a wonderful way to start our week Just thank you so much for blessing us With your presence, with grace That you so richly abound to us God And we thank you, we pray that we would just uh, Live as we've been taught Through the Sermon on the Mount God That you would make it real in our lives That we would honor you by having you change us To really reflect how you've treated us we just thank you we worship you we go now Lord in the power of your Holy Spirit asking you to just lead and guide us through this next week we look forward to uh, this week ahead knowing that you're in charge of it God and we just love you in Jesus name we pray everybody said Amen God bless you guys have a wonderful week
2: i